0: How many of you this week uh, watched or participated in something uh, where the outcome was determined by keeping score? Just a little participation. You watched something, you participated in something, look at you raising hands all over this church this morning. All right, you're moving, we're singing, we're we're active, we're alive, 8.30 this morning, Labor Day weekend. that, that's a, it's a big part of our life for all of us. Uh, winning sure is fun, isn't it? Uh, winning is fun. I've been on my end of a lot of losses. I grew up in Alabama as an Auburn fan. And my uh, most of my childhood was spent losing. And it's um, just the reality of uh, what it was. And uh, there were many Saturday nights. I didn't want to go to church on Sunday morning because of the... Um, experience that I would have, and um, winning is a lot more fun. Uh, winning on Saturdays fun. Winning every day though is better. And what's better than winning every day? You know what's better than winning every day? Winning for eternity. That's better. It it really um, it doesn't matter if you win for 3.9 quarters and lose in the end. And today when we come to this New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians, we see how we win forever. How do we win today? How do we win every day? How do we win forever? 1 Thessalonians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a winning group of people. I don't say that to be trying to be cute. I say it because it's reality. When you read through this letter to the church at Thessalonica, they were a winning church. And, and when you work through, you think about the Apostle Paul, if you've had any uh, exposure to him, as, as reading through his letters, recognizing him as the author you will often think he does encourage, he does pray for people, he does thank people, but you're kind of waiting for him to make the turn and say, but here's what I want to correct. Here's what I want to rebuke you for. Here's what you've got to get right. Here's where you're wrong. Here's what you've got to straighten out. When I come, if you haven't taken care of it, I'll take care of it when I get there. And he he confronts and he Shows where there needs to be correction. When you read through this letter of 1 Thessalonians, here's what you find the Apostle Paul saying. I'm so encouraged by you. And I'm so encouraged by you that I'm writing you to encourage you to do this. And get get what he tells them to do. He says, do what you're doing more and more. Do what you're doing more and more. Isn't that, that's the kind of the conversations that I'd like to be a part of, is to sit down with someone and then be able to say, not here's where you're wrong, here's where you're wrong, here's where you're wrong, but for you to be in a position where it would say, this is what you're getting right, in fact, you're getting so much right, I just want you to do that more and more. Think about your own life today. You have an encounter with the Spirit of God. You have an encounter with Jesus. He's speaking to you. You're reading the Word. You're hearing from the Spirit. Are are you in a place where he, He would say to you, that's it. You're winning. Just keep doing what you're doing. More and more of that. For me, a lot of times... I feel like I can't, I can't tell if I'm winning. A lot of times, I, I, I don't know if it's a, a ploy of the enemy. I, I don't know if it's just the way spiritual life works. It often seems like when you're going about living everyday life, I find myself asking more times than not, um, "Am I winning? I mean, am I getting this right? Is this what?" life is about is this what God is after would he is he cheering me on or is he saying hold up and first Thessalonians really shows us what it looks like to win let me let me give you some context of this letter I hope you've found first Thessalonians by now but really to understand the context of first Thessalonians you have to know a little bit of the backdrop the background and that happens in the book of acts acts chapter 16 acts chapter 17 acts chapter 18 covers the apostle paul's first encounter with the people of thessalonica and he's on a his second mission trip his second missionary journey the book of acts he's, It gives us some details about how he's taking the good news of Jesus from Jerusalem to other parts of the world. And uh, this he takes the gospel to other parts of the world. He now is on this second trip. He's been back to Jerusalem. He's reported what God has done. Acts chapter 16 tells us that he's trying to go to one place. But he gets rerouted. It wasn't... Because uh, a flight got canceled or a ship got canceled, uh, he has an encounter where the, an angel of the Lord calls him. And we know it. Have you heard of the Macedonian call? He gets the Macedonian call. I, wanna, I personally have had the Macedonian call. So Really? Wow, that's spiritual. Uh, first, the first church that I pastored would call, was called Macedonia Baptist Church. I literally had the Macedonian call right out of seminary. That's the church reached out to me. That's where I wound up pastoring for 8 years. How do you say no? I mean, if you're just reading scripture and you you, you just it feels so unspiritual that say no i would think every macedonian church around the globe must have a pastor i mean who who could say no to a church calling you with that name but paul hears that and and he says no don't go there go here and he responds and he changes his plans according to the leading of the lord and the gospel moves now from asia into europe think about that how does the how does the gospel of jesus christ how does the good news of jesus christ moved from Jerusalem from the Jewish people to the Gentile people from Asia into other continents and other parts of the globe. Here's how it was happening. It moves from Asia into Europe, into Greece, and, and Paul takes it there, following the lead of the Lord. And the first stop there is he, he goes to Philippi. And then in Philippi, he's preaching the gospel and the description of his Encounter with Philippi was this, he suffered there. In fact, it, the word tells us that he was shamefully treated in Philippi. He was arrested there, he was put in jail. There was a miraculous setting free of the Apostle Paul uh, from a prison in Philippi. But then when he leaves Philippi, he goes about 100 miles down the road to Thessalonica. And while he's in Thessalonica for a short time he shares the gospel and we're told that he was there at least three Sabbaths uh, we don't know if that means two weeks that started on a Sabbath and ended with the third Sabbath we're not sure if there was more time beyond that but we know at least he had three Sabbaths there that marks the time very brief time potentially there in Thessalonica and from Thessalonica he leaves why because now in Thessalonica, a, a, a mob comes together. The Jewish people get jealous of what Paul is saying. And they, it says that he stirs up some low-life people, some mobsters in Thessalonica. And they cause a great disturbance. And then Paul has to leave there. And then from Thessalonica goes down about 50 miles to Berea. Berea was a place where when Paul uh, preached the gospel... There were Jews there that knew the Old Testament scriptures. And it says they went and they searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. And then from Berea, he goes to Athens, Athens, Greece. And in Athens, Greece, he has something sort of like an apologetics conference kind of thing. He he finds that they worship gods from all over the world. They even have a god that was to the unknown god just so they wouldn't miss any gods. And then the Apostle Paul stands and he debates there and he explains and expounds the good news of Jesus Christ. He reasons with them about the good news of Jesus, and from Athens he goes to Corinth, and there in Corinth he spends at least eighteen months there, teaching the gospel. Now, in, in in Corinth it was much like the other places where there was shameful treatment, there were mobs, there were riots. In fact. Teaching in the synagogue in Corinth, he met such opposition. Describes him leaving uh, the synagogue in Corinth by shaking out the dust of his feet. He he shakes it out. He's like it's this symbolic show of done with you. I've had enough. I, I, I clean my hands of you. And you know where he goes from there, from the synagogue? Across the street. He goes across the street and he finds a gathering place and he begins to lecture and teach there about the good news of Jesus Christ. And while he's there in Corinth, he wants to see the believers in Thessalonica so bad, but he can't leave this opportunity to teach. And here's what he does. He sends Timothy. He sends Timothy back to Thessalonica and he sends him to go find out how they're doing. He was was concerned about them. He knew they were suffering, he knew there was great affliction, he knew they were being persecuted for their faith, he knew they were going through really hard days in their walk with Christ. And and Paul says, You got to go find out how they're doing. I can't get to them. And so Timothy goes. And this letter of 1 Thessalonians is a response to Timothy going to Thessalonica and coming back and finding Paul and telling him about what was going on in Thessalonica. And when Timothy gets back and gives a report of the church at Thessalonica, it you get the sense that it just it blew Paul away. He had to be thinking, I was there for such a short time. Their hardship is enormous. They're probably shaking in their spiritual boots. They're probably rattled. I don't even know if they're growing. I don't know who's left there that would believe. And it, and it, you get the sense, when, when I read again this summer through this letter of First Thessalonians, I was thinking Paul must have said, maybe he had Uh, sports on my mind or something I thought when Paul got the report from Timothy he must have thought man the Thessalonica for the win I mean there it is they're getting it done and he writes them and here's what he said back to them verse one Paul Savannas and Timothy so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. He goes on and he writes about this report that he receives from Timothy. He writes about the words that he's hearing about them, the reputation that the Thessalonian believers had and he commends them, brags on them, Tells them he's he describes them. We'll see later in the letter this fall that he describes them as, as being his crown, of being his source of joy. I'm often asked in different settings um, this question: what what would be a win? What would be a win when this is over? We're planning maybe some activity, some event in the life of our church. And somebody would say to me, "Okay, when this is done, what would be a win? What would it look like for this to be a success?" Well, think about for you right now. What season are you in? Maybe you're a high school student. What would it? What would be a win for you when high school's over? what would it look like to look back on high school and say i won in high school you're in college and and you're you're started your freshman year or you're in your senior year what would it look like for your freshman year to be a win what would it look like for you as a first-time dad for that to be a win we're in a real milestone in our life uh, for the first time in a long time everybody that I'm kind of related to family-wise is in a semi-permanent address, all right? Other than my house, all right? And so all five kids scattered in five different addresses, even my mom this week, finally, my mom for a while, moved, settled in a place. I'm walking back into my house. I'm sitting back down late on Thursday night, and um, and I think, am I winning? Did I win? Did we get it right? Thirty years, my mornings have been affected by babies. Sometimes we don't know. There's no scoreboard. You don't know what a touchdown in life is. You don't know what a three-pointer in life is. And sometimes we can feel like we're losing if things get really hard. And you may look around at circumstances and think, I must be losing because look what's happening there. and Look, what, look what's happening here. I thought it would look like this when I got here. I thought it would look like that when we got there. I want to summarize this morning's message with this statement based on these verses you're winning you're winning when you recognize God does his most defining work in your most difficult days you're winning when you recognize that God does his most defining work in your most difficult days I, I'm not somebody's I'm, I'm just a few days in Paul Suzanne y'all, y'all know what it's like to be empty nesters I'm just a few days into this and I, and if somebody asked me how do you like empty nesting here's what I'm gonna say without hesitation I love it I want to tell you, the last 30 years, exhausting, tired, constant, exhausting, tired, hard, good, rewarding, worth it, amen. But in that recognizing, you know what, God, you're doing in those hard days? You're showing me what matters. You're, showing, you're defining the meaning of life. You're defining who you are, God, to me. You're defining who I am in this world. And in those difficult days, and I'm certain there are many more ahead. I'm not, I'm, I'm, we're not done. We're not done. There are lots of things to come. But recognizing in the moment of hardship, in the moment of affliction, in the moment of difficulty, that God's doing his defining work. That's winning. Look at it. It, He says in verse 6, he says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. It was hard when you received the gospel. You were suffering when you received the gospel. Look over to chapter 3. Just dip over there for just a minute. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Therefore we could bear it no longer. We were willing to be left behind in Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother. He said, we couldn't stand it anymore. We were willing for Timothy to go to find out how you're doing. And he says, so we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know he said, it, it's going to be hard. And I'm, I, I think this morning I was standing in front of you, so many of you, to say the difficulty in your life, the hardness in your life, that drowning sense maybe of life where I, you don't know if you're winning or not. Just you'll win and you'll be winning if you recognize God's at work even in the difficult times. He hasn't left you alone in the hard times. He's working. And what Paul does in the rest of chapter 1 here is he, he points out to them. It's like, he said, let me, let me open your spiritual eyes. That maybe, it, it, it's like you may have the cataracts of hardship. And you're not able to see clearly how God's at work in your life. And I want to show you. You know one of the most encouraging things that you can do for another brother or another sister in Christ? Is to do what Paul is doing right here. For the church at Thessalonica. Is to say to them. In hard times. God's working in your life. They'll probably say. Really? You see that? Absolutely I see it. I see God working in your life right now. Even though it's hard. By the way you. And then you fill in the blank. And that's what. Paul's doing here to encourage the Thessalonians he's saying look here and let me give you these real fast number one he says to them God's God's working in your life he's defining who you are in your life he says to them number one you're chosen it's hard have you missed God God leave you out no he says you are chosen Verse 4, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Paul writes back to the church at Thessalonica, and he says, remember the day you believed, and remember the reason you believed is because God chose you. Now, we, we read a verse like that, and depending on kind of where our perspective is coming from, we can grab a hold of that word chosen and say, there it is, election. Let's talk about it. Do you know when you read through the New Testament and election is talked about or God choosing people, identifying believers as the chosen, do you know the context of where that is mentioned over and over again? It is mentioned over and over again as a source of encouragement to believers he mentions it to them as a source of assurance not as a source of argument and uh, God help us to not let the doctrine of election or being chosen become Characterizes what people argue over. Let the doctrine of election and assurance become uh, the doctrine of being chosen in election be what we use to, to settle assurance in our heart, to be encouraged that God would pursue us and go to such great lengths, and we would be able to celebrate. Paul is celebrating with the church at Thessalonica, wanting them to know, hey, look, you're right with God. You're winning with God. He chose you. It was a great source of encouragement he says the gospel came to you in power did y'all hear what happened here last Sunday those of you who were not here those of you who maybe were here in this hour by the but last Sunday did that unusual thing somebody referred to it this week as a Bible scavenger hunt uh, and they, we, we took Verses of Scripture, we wrote page numbers on those verses of Scripture to get us to the next page. And I read those verses and told you the page numbers for the next page. And read those verses and gave you a sample prayer. And when last Sunday's services were over, six people had prayed to receive Christ. Now listen, do you, you, you could look back at last Sunday and say, Pastor Carlos basically read verses and gave us questions and we wrote numbers on a New Testament Bible. And what happened? We found out that the gospel is more than words. We found out that the gospel is the power of God under salvation. And just by presenting the good news of the gospel, People were convicted of their sin. They were convicted of the love of Jesus. And they received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And they were saved last week just by the power of the gospel. And friends, listen. Today, when you're thinking about your life, remember that it was not words that convinced you. It's the power of the gospel that came and changed your life. You were chosen. Number two, Paul says you are imitators. You are imitators. Look at verse 6. He says, you're winning because you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You became imitators. He says, you looked at our life. We were only with you. They knew. They knew the context. They were only with them for a short amount of time, at least three Sabbaths. He then what you did was you copied us. You imitated us. You, show, you, you saw how we worked with our hands to provide for ourselves. You saw how we interacted with people. You saw how we taught the word. We saw, you saw how we interacted with us. And you followed our example. And he, and he celebrates them. He, he says, you became an imitator of who we are. Sometimes when we don't know what to do spiritually, the best thing we can do is find somebody who knows what to do spiritually and just copy them until we figure out what to do spiritually. I mean, seriously. We follow their example. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. You followed our example. We were living for Jesus. You figured out how to live for Jesus by following our example. Many years ago, young pastor, David Landreth, pastoring in Long, at Long Hollow in Nashville, we would talk about every week and I remember he called me and said, Cause we're we got a big decision to make and, and I don't know what to do and, and I'm wringing my hands. Answer the phone. I'm up here dying. Answer the phone. And I'd call him back and said, Listen, I'm just calling back to tell you, make sure you make the right choice because whatever you do, that's what we're gonna do. And, and, and at a time where I was like, I don't know what to do. I need somebody to imitate. I need somebody to copy. And, and the Apostle Paul says, church, at Thessalonica, you're winning. You became imitators of us. And here's number three. He says, you are models. You're chosen. You're imitators. But you've, you're winning in another way. You have become models to others. Get verse 7. He says, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. You see this pattern of discipleship. Paul's discipling the church at Thessalonica and the church at Thessalonica begins to disciple all the other churches around in your life. One of the goals you need for living every day, in the, even in, in the hard stuff, is to live in such a way where people can copy you where you can be a model. The the word here in verse 7, for example, is the Greek word uh, tupos. And this word tupos, it it means to leave a mark. Originally, the, the, the Greek word there was used to describe the mark that was left from a striking blow. For example, if you just reared back and you just slapped your arm really hard and you drew it back and you saw a handprint on your arm, that was what that word meant. It was the imprint left from a striking blow. And what Apostle Paul is using this word here to say to them, church at Thessalonica, you left your mark. You left your mark. You're leaving your mark. And, and, and he said, you're making an impression. Here's the fourth thing. He said, God's working in your life. You're chosen. You're an imitator. You're a model. And number four, you're an amplifier. You're an amplifier. Look at verse 8. He says, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything he says to them you're winning you are in the middle of all this affliction and hardship you may not know it let me point out to you that as you followed our example you've become an example and as you followed my example and you've become an example you're leaving a mark that's not just there in Thessalon- Thessalonica and Macedonia it's it's stretching everywhere your reputation is stretching everywhere. There's a ripple effect by the way you're living. And think about it today. Here we are in 2023 reading about the church at Thessalonica and what's happening. Their life is still having a ripple effect here today. Their faith was amplified. They were loud with their life. He says, "You became an example to all the believers, not only by the word of the Lord sounded forth for you in Macedonia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything; that so we don't have to talk about it. People are just seeing the way you live. You remember those uh, science experiment, experiment maybe you did years ago, where you took the string and you." you poked a hole in the bottom of a paper cup and tied a knot and you pull the string over and tied a knot in the bottom of another cup and you stretch across the room and you could talk into that cup and a person could put the cup to, y'all, did y'all do that in Georgia? We, uh, just that you, you talk through the string and, and, and the, the, the sound waves over here into this cup would travel that string and it would be amplified in that cup on the other ear the Apostle Paul's saying, that's what's happened. The way you're living right here is traveling. It's you're you're giving an example. You're given a model. You're amplifying Jesus. And then here's the fifth thing. He says, you're ready. You are ready. Ready for what? Ready for the day. Ready for every day. Ready for eternity. Look at it in verse. Nine, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. The apostle Paul says, I want you to know you're winning and here's how you know you have a ready salvation. And when Jesus Christ comes back, When he comes back, you don't have to get ready. You're already ready. You've turned from idols. You've turned from what you were trusting in. And there's been this radical change in your life to what you are trusting in. And now you're serving the Lord, not serving idols. And you're waiting and watching for the return of Christ. You're winning. So let me apply this to our life. and just some closing application how can we make sure we're winning number one turn to jesus and trust him alone with your life you can be good morally you can attend church every week you can come to the eight thirty service you can give you can teach you can be known as a good guy have good moral business ethics all of those things and in the end still lose doing all those morally good things are like winning for 3.9 quarters but if you end this life without trusting in Jesus Christ you lose you lose forever and 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 today let let today be the start of winning forever don't just try to get it right believe right trust jesus right now you can call out to him and 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 you you can put the prayer in your own words just do what they did turn from whatever you've been trusting in and say to jesus i believe you i believe you died for me i'm trusting you jesus i want to live for you i want to surrender my life to you Secondly, find you someone that's winning and copy them. So I don't know how to live right now. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get this right. Find you someone that's winning and copy them. Who's your Apostle Paul? And you may say, I'm, I'm 60 years old. You know what? You still need somebody that's ahead of you spiritually to be looking to. Hey, show me how to do 60. Show me how to do 62. Show me how to do 68. You need need an apostle Paul. You need a person to look to. You need somebody to copy you. College student, you need somebody to copy. Teenager, you need somebody to copy. Dad, you need a dad to copy. Mom, you need a mom to copy. Just find you somebody who's walking with Jesus and copy them. Number three. Be someone that others can copy. Be someone that others can copy. Leave a mark that looks like Jesus. As I've thought a lot about being a dad over these last three decades. And you start trying to figure out, have I won? Am I, am I winning? And it's, it's not very profound. And I won't write a book on this ever. But here's, here's what it boils down to what my parenting has been. My parenting as a dad has been this. If my kids choose to copy me, there won't be anything there for them to copy that will bring them harm. That will hurt them in this life or hurt them in the next life. That's, what that's, that's just what I'm trying to do, is to just leave a mark that can be copied and it would be of benefit for this day and the next. Number four, let your walk be louder than your words. Let your walk be louder than your words. We can, we can talk a good talk, Let's make sure that we're walking the walk. And then number five, remind yourself every day that in the end, Jesus wins. Amen. I mean, it's hard. And there are going to be days that you're awake in the middle of the night, mornings when you're up early, uh, wringing your hands, and the only thing that you're going to have to hold on to is that Jesus wins. And that's exactly what 1 Thessalonians does. There are five chapters. And at the end of all five chapters, it mentions the return of Christ. Just for example, in this chapter 1, he says, And to wait for his son from heaven. Wait to for his son from heaven. In all five chapters, you'll find in the closing couple of verses, the return of Christ. Jesus wins. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back here, and we're going to close today remembering that um, Jesus wins in the end. I want you to stand to your feet, and I want you to listen to these words that we're about to sing. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness, and freedom my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to his. Oh, how strange and divine, I can sing all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken, for by my side the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, For in my need, his power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley, he will lead me. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. Jesus wins. Let's worship. Let's sing.